It's good to see everybody here this morning. I'd like to thank the pastor for allowing me to uh, speak today. I, a couple weeks ago, I started in Romans chapter one. I've been teaching that at White Oak. Paul has a great message in the first chapter. And uh, in the second part of that chapter, it almost sounds condemning, but it's really a warning of how sin can pull us so far into darkness that we can't even allow any light. We cannot even hear the voice of God anymore. And that's a dangerous position to be in. Uh, let me go back to the beginning of Romans chapter 1. That's where we're going to be at. Let me just review a little bit. Uh, Paul has written a letter to the Christians in Rome. And although he had a, a great desire to go to Rome, uh, there personally in fellowship and minister and possibly set up a, a home base. Some believe that he wanted to set up a base there. So eventually that he could go on into Spain. It was not God's plan at that time for Paul to do so. At that time, there were no main churches in Rome. And I'm going to tell you why in just a minute. But the Gentile Christians were meeting in homes and the Jews that had been ex exiled were beginning to return back to Rome so the Jewish Christians would be joining uh, those Gentile Christians in these group settings. And the reason that they met like that, it was very dangerous to be a follower of Jesus Christ uh, under the Roman rule at that time. Uh, many of us know who uh, Nero was and Claudius. I mean, it wasn't, they didn't live their uh, Christianity openly out on the street. So it was a very dangerous, dangerous time. Now, although Paul was unable to go to Rome, uh, he compliments these Christians for their uh, faithful testimony, and he shares his love for them, and he lets them know that they're always in his prayers. Now, one thing he does let them know is that he was ready to preach the gospel, not only at Rome, but to whomever and wherever God sent him. And that's where we're going to begin. Now, Paul gives a reason why he is ready to do that. Why is he ready to preach to whomever and wherever God leads him? I'm going to read Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So Paul said that he is ready to preach to whomever and wherever God sent him, and then he gives the reason why. Paul said that he was not ashamed of the gospel. Well, why was he not ashamed of the gospel? Because it was the power of God unto salvation. You see, Paul had a personal experience, uh, this power, when he was on the road to Damascus, when he had a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus Christ. So Paul understood this power, and it's, he understood that it's only God's power that can change a sinner into a saint. If anybody was a sinner, Paul was a sinner, and we're all sinners. But Paul understood that it's only that power that can change a sinner into a saint, it's only God's power that can transform the heart and the mind. We spoke a little bit about that this morning. And it's only God's power that can take something that's old and make it new. And Paul was a new creation in Christ. And Paul was not ashamed of that power that he was sharing. Now that power is displayed when Jesus shed his blood on the cross to pay our sin debt 
was buried and rose again, defeating death. Now, forgiveness is offered to all who repent and believe this gospel message by faith and only to those who believe and receive it. Now, Paul, here in the next passage, is going to address the, Gentile, uh, the Gentiles. They were in sin. He was going to talk about their sin. But here's the thing. He wants to warn them about the dangers of shutting your heart off to God. But later on, he's going to talk to the Jews who were moralists. In other words, they looked at these Gentiles and began to judge them by their sin. And Paul is going to tell them, no, you are not justified by the law. The law can only condemn. You're only justified through Christ. So don't be judging these people. But Paul's going to tell us where sin can lead and how far we can go into sin that we just shut God out completely. So what Paul had just taught, this power uh, of God, uh, this salvation, uh, this is the only antidote or the only cure for our sin sickness. There is no other. When Jesus went to the cross and shed his blood, he paid the debt for our sin. And that is the only cure that we have. So why do we need this cure, this antidote for our sinfulness? Let's look at Romans 1 verse 18, because he tells us why we need it. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Wow, guess who he included in that? All of us, okay? Is there anybody here that, uh, that has not sinned? No. All right? So Paul has given us the cure. It's the gospel He's telling us why we need that cure, to escape judgment. That's why we need this cure, to escape judgment. The scripture says, for the wages of sin is death, separation from God forever. If you don't receive the debt that was paid for you by Jesus Christ, you will have to pay your own debt. There is no other option. Either you accept what Jesus did when he shed his blood, died for your sins, if you don't receive that, then you will have to pay the debt for your sin yourself. Now, some people teach that at the great white throne judgment, how many of you are familiar with the great white throne judgment? All right, that sinners will just be cast into the lake of fire and just consumed. All right, have you ever thrown something in a fire and it's just, it's gone? That would make Jesus' death on the cross vanity. And I'm going to tell you why. Because... I could live on this earth in sin, serving the devil, and I will die. We are going to die, right? Then when he raises me back up, he's going to kill me again. Where is the accountability? God calls all men to repent. We are accountable for what we do. And so when it comes to the great white throne judgment, just prior to talking about that, it says that the Antichrist, the false prophet, and Satan are cast into the burning lake of fire to be tormented day and night. And at the great white throne judgment, if you have rejected that debt that was paid for your sin on the cross by Jesus, you will have to pay that debt. You will be cast into that same lake of fire to be tormented day and night. You will have to pay that debt. That's why you need the cure. That's why you need the gospel. Now, God is angry, and rightly so. And wrath is extreme anger, a vengeful anger, and sin must be paid for. 
Now, some may assume when we I read that verse or, or they hear that verse that God is angry at sinners. But the gospel reveals to us that just the opposite is true. In John 3.16, it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And in Romans chapter 5, 8, it said, For God demonstrated or showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So no, God is not angry at the sinner. He loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. And he wants to break these chains of sin that hold us in darkness and give us eternal freedom through Jesus Christ and give us eternal life. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it tells us, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. No, God loves you. He loves the sinner, and He's done everything He can to draw that sinner to Himself. And we're going to see that in just a minute. God is patient, but He will not be mocked. Whatsoever you sow, you will reap. The choice is up to you. Now, God has done all that is necessary to make himself known. And this is what Paul is saying to the Gentiles. God has done everything. In Romans chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, he goes on to say, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal head. You see, God is a good God, and he's done all that is necessary to make himself known to man. Now, the first way is through creation. In Psalms 19, verse 1 through 3, it says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. And then in Psalms 104, it tells us this, O Lord, how manifold are thy works! In wisdom hast thou made them all, the earth full of thy riches. So is this great and wide sea, wherein are things creeping innumerable, both small and great beasts. In Isaiah 42, Thus saith God the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it and spirit to them that walk therein. You see, the first way that God has done it is he has revealed, made himself known to man through his creation. Now, although evolution is taught as a fact, it is nothing but theories, man's opinion. That's all it is. There is never any agreement among them. If you ever read anything about them, they can never agree. Uh, and they can never validate a complete picture, and many will cling to those lies. Then there are those who believe that the cause of everything is God, but he plays no part in his creation. But he is very much involved, and he has moral laws to which we are accountable and all of us have broken those laws. 
In Romans 3.23 it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not a person that is born that has not committed a sin. We are born, uh, we inherit that sin nature from Adam. In Lamentations chapter 3 it tells us this, it's by His mercy, the Lord's mercy, that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. See, God's got the right to just take us all out, but yet He loves us. Now, we were oblivious to salvation, so God took another step forward. See, if creation wasn't enough, He said, well, there's going to be another way, which was predestined before the earth was even formed. So we were oblivious to salvation. So God not only revealed himself through creation, he revealed himself through Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it tells us this, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now verse 14 is the important one in this. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, the Word became flesh. Who is this talking about? This is talking about Jesus. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it tells us this. Who is the image of the invisible God? Jesus, the firstborn of every creature. So, since we were oblivious to salvation, God not only revealed Himself through creation, He revealed Himself through Jesus Christ, who was God in the flesh. And Jesus said that the Father and I are one. So He came to this earth personally. So through creation, God is revealed. Through Jesus, God is revealed. And He's also revealed Himself in our hearts. And this is the most important one. Romans chapter 2 verse 14 and 15. It says, For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. And then let's go all the way back. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 5 with Adam and Eve. Did they know right from wrong? It says, for God, uh, the serpent convinced Eve to, to disobey God. He says, for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and you shall be as God's knowing good and evil. Well, good and evil is what? Right from wrong. And what happened when they disobeyed God? They were ashamed. They knew right away what they had done is wrong. See, we have no excuse. There's nobody sitting in this building or listening to my voice. You have no excuse. In your heart, you know what is right and what is wrong. And that's what Paul is saying. God has revealed himself through his creation. He came to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And in our hearts, we know. So no one can say we did not know. I want to read Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 21 through 23. No one can say you did not know. Verse 21 through 23. It said, because that when they, what? Knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools 
and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. No one can say we did not know. In Acts chapter 17, when Paul was on his missionary journey, uh, he was in Athens, and, and Paul was going through there, and he noticed all these altars, and then he, he noticed this special altar to the unknown God. Now, the Athenians and the foreigners, they like to spend their time eh, doing nothing but talking about and listening to new ideals, you know, sitting around, shooting the bull. Uh, and Paul had been preaching the gospel. He was preaching about Jesus. So they invited Paul to join them at Mars Hill, and uh, they wanted to know a little bit more about what he was talking about. And Paul said, look, I noticed that you guys had this altar to this unknown God. Now, he goes on, and I'm paraphrasing, he goes on to say, this is the God who made the world and everything in it. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And since we are God's offspring or his creation, we shouldn't think that a divine God is an idol made with human hands. Paul goes on to say, God once overlooked this ignorance, but now he commands men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he's made himself known through creation, through Christ, and in our hearts. And he goes on, Paul tells them, look, the world will be judged by the one that he has appointed. Who is he appointed? Jesus. And the proof of his appointment was his resurrection. That was the proof. How did these people react? How did these Athenians react? How did these foreigners react? It said that some mocked, some laughed. So what is it saying here in this passage? Paul is saying they perverted the image of God by turning it into the perverted image of man. Four-footed beasts, birds, silver, gold, stone, wood, and practice wickedness. So they rejected God as a creator and worshiped created things instead. And let me tell you something that's going on today in America here. Climate change, climate control, it's getting out of control. We've forgotten who the creator is. And in Psalms 1.5 said this, because of that, therefore the ungodly shall not stand in judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. What is God saying? It's vanity what they're doing. It's going to lead them nowhere. They will not stand. And some of those religious practices they were doing were forbidden under Jewish law, such as sex rites, cultic male and female prostitution, passing children through the fire and child sacrifice. Child sacrifice. Does that sound familiar? God loves the sinner. He's proven it. Jesus went to the cross and shed his blood. What more could he do? He loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. And it's sad to say that some people will suppress the truth because if they acknowledge it, then they would have to acknowledge accountability, not realizing they are accountable regardless of whether they acknowledge it or not. Now that may sound like a tongue twister. Sin has to be paid for. Either you accept the debt paid by Jesus on the cross, or you will pay for it yourself. There is no other option. There is no other option. Rejecting truth will plunge you into complete destruction. In Romans chapter 1, verse 24 through 28, I'm going to read these passages. Romans 1, 24 through 28. It said, because of this, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, 
who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up into vile affections for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burn in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Let's look at this passage. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and 7, it says this, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. Rejecting truth is going to plunge you into complete darkness. In that passage right there, this is talking about the flood. Was God fair? He gave them 120 years. 120 years to repent. And they refused to listen. And he flooded the earth. And then what did he put in the sky? He put a rainbow to show that he would not flood the earth again. And how's that being used today? For the very perversion that Paul's fixing to talk about. The human heart can become so hard and dark that it no longer feels conviction. They will exchange what they know to be true for something that will make themselves feel comfortable in their sin. Their conscience is seared. And to know truth and reject it is foolish and dangerous. In Psalms 14.1 it says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. It says, For this reason, because of this, what they are doing, God gives them over. That is a dangerous passage. Because I'm explaining to you what that means. It says that for this reason, God gives them over in the lust of their hearts. Strong sexual cravings. This is where it begins because the heart is the command center of the soul. We come to Christ, what does it say? With the heart man believeth. But the heart is the command center of the soul. What you allow into it or stop from coming in is what is going to control you. Because it will go from your heart to your actions to your mind to consume you. They shut their ears and their eyes to the knowledge of God, knowing that He will judge righteously. Is not what He said? They know His judgment. They know who He is. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, it says, uh, this is talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. It says, "...in turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that are after should live ungodly." Sodom and Gomorrah. So what happens? They continue to plunge deeper and deeper and deeper into darkness because they refuse to acknowledge God. It also says that God gives them over to vile desires, degrading passions, acting on what is already in their where? 
in their hearts. They increasingly become more perverted, and it's a lack of dignity and self-respect. Now, I've got a note here because I want to make this clear. God does not condemn all sexual desire. Everybody's going to say, whoa. Because it was God himself who gave it to us as a gift to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife in the holy covenant of marriage. In Mark chapter 10, verse 6 through 9, it says this. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this call shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. That's male and female. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. So it says in this passage we just read that the women use their bodies contrary to God's desire. That's what it's telling you. Lesbianism. I'm just to tell you straight out, that's what it's talking about is lesbianism. So don't close your ears, all right? But it goes on to say that even the men also use their bodies contrary to God's design. This is homosexuality. This is what Paul is talking about. This is not adultery nor fornication. This is unnatural sex act is what it is, is what Paul's talking about. Let me tell you the difference. In, between adultery, fornication, and what Paul's talking about. Adultery is between a man and a woman when they step outside that marriage covenant and have a relationship with someone other than their spouse. That's adultery. The act itself is natural between a man and a woman, but it's a sin because it's outside of the marriage covenant. Fornication is a male and a female that aren't married, that are having a natural act between a male and a female, but it's a sin. Why? Because it's outside of the marriage covenant. Does everybody understand that difference? This, what Paul is talking about, is unnatural. Men do not go with men, and women do not go with women. Boy, it got mighty quiet. They have reached the point of not giving God a second thought. They don't think it is necessary or important. For this reason... Here we go again. God gives them over. Three times he gives them over. First to what? The heart, the lust, and then the actions. Now he said he gives them over to a reprobate mind. That means complete depravity. If you look up the definition of that, man, that means God's rejected them. He's checked them off. But in, we say this may sound cruel because God loves the sinner, right? Didn't I say that? Doesn't the scripture say that? Doesn't the gospel say that? He has done everything he can to reveal himself through creation, through the, uh, the person of Jesus Christ, God on this earth, in our hearts. And have you ever dealt with somebody who, who comes to you and their life is a mess and, and you set them down and, and you say, you take them to the scripture and you give them this advice and they say, well, I know, but and they walk away. Their life gets even worse. They come back to you again. And you go through this process over and over again, and you always take them back to the same thing you started with. And finally, you come to the point to say, look, I love you, but you are not listening. And friend, if you're sitting out here and you don't know Jesus Christ, your own personal Savior, do not harden your heart. 
If he's knocking on it, you better open it. Because what Paul is talking here is they can become so hard, it just blocks everything out. And I've done that before. Look, I love you, but you're not listening to me. And that's what God is telling these people. Look, I love you. I've done everything I can, but you are not listening to me. And that's what he's telling these people. And that's what Paul's warning them of the progression of sin and where it can lead us to. Their wickedness has progressed from the heart to the action to the consuming of their mind. Progression. I saw an article a couple weeks ago, uh, I think it was in Michigan, where they were talking about that they wanted to change the law and not try 18-year-olds as adults because they said that their brains had not developed enough to discern right from wrong. I mean, this is what, you know, I mean, if that's sort of the way it was worded. And I'm thinking, no, but you'll go into our kindergartens, into our elementary schools, into our junior high schools and our high schools and try to convince these kids that they need to mutilate their bodies because biology didn't have it right when they said you're a male or a female. And the doctor was too stupid to know the difference between a male and a female. And the parents are too stupid to know the difference between a male and a female. This is what, this is what he's talking about. The mind. You are consumed. None of it makes any sense, does it? That's because they're under the power of evil. Their evil, their wickedness becomes more and more and more and more. And I want to read these last passages to you. That's why I hate to see this rainbow flag. They don't realize that that was a time of judgment. And God's going to judge the earth again. Except he's going to do it with fire. And it's mocking God when they use that symbol. And God loves them. And he wants them saved. And he's calling out to them. And he's tugging on their hearts. Now, as long as they're still breathing, they have a chance. It's, uh, let me read uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 29 through 32. He goes on to say, listen, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedience to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And we're seeing that in America today. We're seeing that in America today. And I have to wonder, I have to wonder sometimes why God doesn't judge this country. I really do. Now, Paul did not write this to condemn the Gentiles. That's not what he wrote it for. He wrote it to warn them of the dangers of closing their heart to Jesus Christ because God's mercy is always available, even in his judgments. And this is God's judgments. And what people today are facing in America with these things, this is God's judgment. But his judgment is to get you to repent, to look up. His mercy is always available, even in his judgments. I'm going to read in Revelations how hard hearts can become. I'm going to read three verses in Revelations. In Revelation is when the tribulation is. Everybody understand the tribulation. Seven years of tribulation, that is Jesus' wrath being poured up on the earth. 
In Revelation chapter 6, it says this, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal. Lo, there was this great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of the hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? One thing in that passage. They hid themselves, they knew who was sitting in the judgments, and no one repented. Revelations chapter 9. The number of the army, the horsemen, were 200,000 thousand. I heard the number of them. Thus I saw the horses in the vision, them that sat on them having the breastplates of fire, descent, brimstone, the heads of the horses, whereas the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three was the third part of men killed by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails were like unto serpents and had heads, and with them they do hurt. The rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk, neither repented they of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor their fornication, nor or of their thefts. And one more passage. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. This is insanity. And this is what Paul is writing here in Romans. This is insanity. You know God, you know of God, but yet you will not listen to God. This is insanity. With God giving them over to lust in their hearts, to vile desires and complete depravity, the question always comes up, is it possible for them to be saved? Calvinists, some Calvinists will say no, they are predestined for damnation. But I say as long as they are breathing, there's still a chance. So what is our responsibility? Because after this, Paul will be talking to the Jews who thought they were okay and he lets them know that, no, you're not okay, all right? You better put your faith in Christ and not in the law. So it's our calling to pray for these people. It's our calling. We need to pray for them and we need to love them. Regardless. Because we are not the judge. That is left up to God. And one thing we have to understand is we were once like some of these people. And that's what Paul is trying to say. No. Grace is only through Christ. And we're all guilty of violating the law. Accept that cure for your sin so you do not have to stand in judgment. Paul said to share the gospel with everyone. It's up to God to convict the heart. And we don't heart. We don't, we don't know the heart 
that will be convicted. We have no clue. But the warning to those who don't want to listen to God, I said it's like going into a bomb shelter underground, closing the door, breaking off the key so you can't get out, dimming the switch all the way down the dark, breaking the switch. You become in utter darkness, utter silence. You cannot see, you cannot hear. Light can't even, cannot even penetrate. You don't want your heart to become that heart that light cannot penetrate it. As far as us, we're called to love and to share and to leave it up to God to make the decision. Because at one time, we were just like some of those. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this message that Paul has given us as a reminder of our responsibility, Father, and really that we were all saved by grace. We didn't earn it. We didn't do anything for it. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that we will pray for those who, who seem to be more awakened than what we are. But in your eyes, sin is sin. Help us to show that in the way that we live, that God, that Jesus has died for all. It's in his name we pray, amen.